0: Here's a message from today's episode sponsor.
1: Welcome to Real Time, Real Talk, a Dexcom podcast dedicated to pharmacists and other healthcare professionals on the front lines, helping people thrive who live with diabetes. So me being able to get an alert that... It's predicting my glucose will be less than 55 in the next 20 minutes and to eat some glucose. So I don't have to get as low as I could have gone if I didn't get that alert. Or even sometimes I can prevent going low because I'm able to get some glucose soon enough in my body and just go on with my day and not interrupt playing football or trying to catch baseballs with my boys. So those are just a few of the things that I love. Dexcom is the leading developer of Real-Time Continuous Glucose Monitoring, also known as RTCGM, and other digital technologies to better manage diabetes. Real-Time CGM provides critical glycemic metrics for physicians, pharmacists, and diabetes specialists to act upon to help their patients live with as much freedom as possible. Dexcom empowers people to take control of diabetes through innovative, continuous glucose monitoring. Real Time Real Talk is a proud member of the Pharmacy Podcast Network. For more information on all Dexcom's technologies, products, and services, please visit Dexcom.com. That's D-E-X-C-O-M dot Listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network.
2: (laughs) All right. Hey, welcome to This Week in Pharmacy. My name is Todd Yuri, I am your host, uh, founder of the Pharmacy Podcast Network, and this is uh, This Week in Pharmacy. I'm so excited to be back. Uh, this has been a fast week, super busy week. We are getting ready for the Assembia um, Specialty Pharmacy Business Event of the Year. I don't know if you've ever heard of Access, but it's AXS23. It happens in Las Vegas every year. This organization um, puts together one of the most phenomenal business events for all things specialty pharmacy. Pharmacy Podcast Network will be there as press and media support. So if you're at Assembia, please reach out to me so that we can meet up and I can uh, hear from you and how you're innovating um, specialty pharmacy as a pharmacist or pharmacy professional. Thank you so much for joining TWORKS. Uh, this is um, a um a show for all things what's happening in pharmacy obviously we can't cover everything or it would be a a 12-hour show like joe rogan but we try to keep this to an hour so i have a packed uh episode today with four amazing guests doing nothing but innovating um the the world of pharmacy care um i want to give a shout out to um our sponsor today which is dexcom Uh, Dexcom is a leading uh, continuous glucose monitoring uh, system that tracks your glucose levels and um, throughout the day and night giving readings and smart uh, device system data so that your pharmacist and physician can work together to assure that your pharmacy and pharmacist and diabetes care is at um, maximum delivery of what technology is doing for us. I, I think it's phenomenal how far it's come. I entered pharmacy 2004. It is a completely different world today um, of what we can do with tech and, and inserting our pharmacists. Um, we have a packed episode today. We're going to be talking with uh, Leakey, who is a returning guest on Pharmacy Podcast uh, from four years ago. We're going to be talking with Vince King, uh, Srilik Dvorsky. They're both from Taylor Med. And then we're going to round out the show today with Eric Speck. Dr. Speck is with RPH Ally, Pharmacist Support Director. Go RPH Ally. If you're not part of the RPH Ally network, if you're listening to the podcast and you're not watching us live uh, streaming on YouTube and Twitter, and I think LinkedIn, um, although we might have broken that link uh, this week, um, definitely look up rphally.com. Um, but I'm going to get into the show. I want to I start out with some news, and I want to talk about um, the FDA. And the FDA um, had a warning, and they said there was some risk of overheating devices of the Freestyle Libre glucose monitors, and uh, this could cause some big problems for patients who have integrated this technology into their lives in diabetes management. Um, there have been, um, they said, seven fires, which, which created some uh, injury uh, for patients, and uh, they're, uh, they're concerned. This is a concern for us as healthcare providers and us as a communications and publication company that focuses on pharmacist and pharmacy care. So I want to hear from pharmacists who are diabetes educators and who focus on diabetes as a part of your practice. Uh, please let us know if you heard from any of your patients who were using the freestyle and, um, and how you're overcoming this. We're going to be talking to Lee Kay about this in just a second, but before I want to get to the next uh, news item, which is telemedicine provides paradigm shift in specialty pharmacist role on care teams. This came out um, from Pharmacy Times uh, just this week, and it's a really interesting article about the use of telemedicine at the next level and how specialty pharmacists who are um, constantly in touch with patients ongoing um, for uh, special analysis for their condition and the and the medications that they're on. I want to hear from specialty pharmacists. This is why we're excited about Assembia 2023. We want to talk about telemedicine at the event on purpose so we can understand how it's changed. Because as we all know and remember from the pandemic, we feel like we got shoved into if you weren't already using telemedicine, you definitely understand its, its capacity now to help people. And I think people uh, out there that were consulting in person that weren't able to get out for a myriad of reasons realize the power of telemedicine. This is going to continue. So if you are a community pharmacist, if you're a specialty pharmacist, long-term care consultant, we also want to talk more about, and we'll be doing a segment on a future twerks about telemedicine specifically and the role of our pharmacists and how, how this kind of ties into the expansion of services. The last article before we get to our guests that I really want to jump into, I want to bring to your attention. There's an article out of uh, Drug Topics that said what pharmacists need to know about point-of-care testing for STIs and sexually transmitted infections. We're going to be coming back to this subject with Dr. Nadia Archambault, she's known as the Sex Farm di am going to do an entire episode on STIs and, um, and testing. We also have POC Talk, which is a point-of-care testing podcast brought to you by um, Dr. Kristen Talent. And I think I'd like a cross-episode between those two, talking about the importance of point-of-care testing and, um, and STIs and how pharmacists can really become... The go to source for ongoing education about leveraging point of care testing, but then also follow up for treatments um, and what that means for your practice and your community. If I think of community independent pharmacists, and I think, wow, this is a, a business opportunity to give more uh, consult consultative services and education to your, um, to your communities. And I wonder if you've ever thought of a community day, um, or 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 a sex education day, or or even an education around uh, sexually transmitted um, disease, and 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 how that could increase you as a as a healthcare resource and as the community advocate for for public health. And so, once again, anything that we talk about on Twerks, it, it's it's almost like we set the stage for something bigger, either that becomes a series of content that we like to develop with you, or we reach out to companies who are becoming subject matter experts in, um, in the, in the realm of whatever that topic is. And I think point of care testing over the next year is going to become a huge, um, part of community pharmacies out there that, that want to leverage and become disease state experts. I want to bring in our first guest, um, who was on Pharmacy Podcast Network four years ago, and it's gone by fast, um, Dr. Lique Aboujila, and he is known as um, the Pharmacist Podcast host. Uh, Lique, it's so good to have you back and see you, and you look, like I said, you're handsome. Bearded, professorial. And you look like a Jedi master. <laughs> Thanks for
0: having me back, Todd, and I'm so happy to be back with the, with the family once again. Uh, time went by so fast and I um, really can't believe it's been four years. I
2: really can't. Before we started into the show, you were in the green room and we were talking about what we were talking about and, and we, were, we were on a new news item that just had come out in the Wall Street Journal and I think Forbes talked about it, which was delivery of medication and delivery of health services through Uber and, um, boy... Uh, you know jettison four years ahead and that's not even news anymore. I know, right? Because said, uh, it was like
0: we predicted what was gonna happen. <laughs> and and I kind of felt because of the uh infrastructural backbone that Uber built, I kind of felt that if Uber Eats was uh, was a thing, which it was at that time, then Uber Health was gonna be next. And then um, boy, they did come to pass. Someone yeah. needs to get someone needs to get paid.
2: I know. Um, like I said, we should have we should have developed some kind of um, stock uh, program uh, dedicated to pharmacists that want to get into delivery of more services there to their community coming out of the pandemic. It's so interesting. I want to shift back to the article: FDA warns risk of overheating uh, a fire with the with the Freestyle Libre. So, as a pharmacist who has concentrated in de- in diabetes and treatment. Um, let's talk about this. What, what do you think as a pharmacist, you can do when you see an article like this to come out to also notify, um, some of your, your people and patients that, you know, are using this technology, but how do how does a pharmacist, how does a community pharmacist or a consultant pharmacist best navigate something like this?
0: Oh, great, great, great. Thanks. Uh, before I proceed with my uh, comments and, um, submissions, I will just like to make a disclaimer just like I did last time. I still have some associations and affiliations with Walgreens as a health outcomes pharmacist where I just support uh, strategies towards uh, improving health outcomes for diabetes and other medical conditions. And as a dispensary pharmacist for World for CVS pharmacy. Uh, but primarily today, I'm actually talking as a host, a co-host of a Kaizen pharmacist and uh, founder and um, principal consultant of Linguistics Consulting Group. Back to your question, Todd, I mean, it, it's amazing because you. one of the things that we actually started hearing from, um, I would say, wearers, because you have to wear the pattern that for the users of the um, CGMs, it's that it wasn't really sticking a lot, you know, but I think they've actually perfected that. But um, going to the... Uh, uh, flesh of the article. I did speak to some of the representatives. Some um, uh, freestyle. Uh, I do not speak for them. You know, I did order a free meter from them, like about two, three years ago, where I tested it, and you know everything was okay. But did they tell me the problem they, they these people had was because one, they're elderly uh which means they did not have access to smartphones that's why they were using transmitters and just like you see on a daily basis uh, people come in that readings are whack so we have to actually transition them back to capillary testing with finger sticks just to kind of make sure they are actually um uh um, in line in in our goal of their um, blood sugar readings uh, but um, as more and more people are actually joining this um, cohort of uh, patients using the uh, uh, CGMs, it's just only going to get better. And uh, and I believe um, we're in the right path. Uh, it's
2: yeah. What what I'm wondering is if if you're focused on diabetes care, and now your patient comes to you. They've gotten used to using this technology to do the monitoring, to take their levels. Um, anything that pops up that would be considered um, dangerous, they're probably reaching out to their pharmacist or physician, First. Um, or someone on their care. You know, a care team uh, provider. Well, what do you do when is this? We're getting them. We're getting our patients used to using um, wearables technology, making sure that your your phone's tied into this, your smartphone. So I. I really am interested in, in having a plan that if something does go wrong, that we can quickly shift as a as a healthcare provider, aka our community independent <coughs> pharmacies, quickly react to something um, like this uh, this notification on on the freestyle. So, wh- what have what have you seen or what have you heard when it comes to implementing technology in diabetes treatment?
0: Great. And um, in fairness to the uh, manufacturers, uh, uh, which is a Freestyle and Dexcom, who, who are the two main ones I've kind of worked with, whenever we have a patient with situations like that, they will actually send in a free capillary testing uh, device for the patient next day. And they are quick at replacing whatever device is defective. Uh, because at the end of the day, it's extremely important that the patients actually monitor blood sugar, and that's why you have that device. And, and in a way to actually encourage them to keep using it, we I actually recommend using your smartphone if you do have one. Yeah. Um, right now, as we know, that uh, smartphones are ubiquitous. Almost everyone uh, has them, but not everyone knows how to use them. So we continue to educate our patients. Uh, but like I said, the primary... Um, uh, focus for me at my practice when a patient comes uh, presents a situation like that is to make sure one we determine the blood sugar level at that point in time. And then we can figure out how to get a replacement uh, device from uh, Freestyle and um, dexon But right now, I think the issue that FDA actually announced or that was with the Freestyle Libre 14 day and Freestyle Libre 2. There's a Freestyle Libre 3, which does not really have where well, they have not actually reported the issues with Freestyle Libre 3. Uh, but um, in um, a-, a position of Freestyle, they've been able to replace uh, these devices with patients. And uh, and I think the problem came from people using other USB uh, chargers, just like we have with our cell phones. That happens sometimes where you find a generic charger, which is USB, put right. your phone in it and it heats up. Without actually delivering a charge. And I think that's what. So now their recommendation is to use the yellow uh, USB port and charge that actually came with the device, not to outsource it. And if anything happens, they're free to, uh, they, they will replace it. But like I said, the primary thing with patients at the point of care is to make sure we stabilize them and um, get them back into believing in wearables. I mean, it's uh, with our elderly patients over 65 years of age, it's, uh, it's still a struggle to get it to embrace technology as it is.
2: I appreciate uh, your insights, because I think of how quick you could react if you had something on the shelf, whether it's an upgraded model, like you're saying, Model 3, or if you had a Dexcom standing by that you could get implemented quickly so that you don't have uh, people that that don't have those metrics that they've gotten used to it. I know I'm a creature of habit as well. I do things very similar. It takes a long time for me to change a habit. Um, As an example, this stupid camera that I'm looking at right now is a new camera because our other camera broke uh, like three days ago and we knew twerks was coming. So now I don't have the cool change ability like we had before, which it was a it was fun. But, but, we, but we, we do
0: support patients in real time, though. Like I said, um, most times when things that happen, uh, we call freestyle a, a Dexcom. They do actually authorize a replacement immediately and then ship the quote-unquote replacements to the pharmacy. So, But at the same time, most times when the patient presents with that issue, we don't know the last time they had the reading. So we actually go back to capillary testing. A point of care to make sure they're okay, then we'll actually present them with a free uh, replacement, which will be returned sent back to us by uh, freestyle or Dexon next day.
2: So, in your work, what is the biggest challenge getting people to implement these technologies in the beginning? Is it the is it the the fear of usage of technology? Is it getting used to it? Are you trying to introduce the app from the phone? Like, what have you experienced in getting people to understand the importance of measurement?
0: I think it's a combination of uh, factors. One is a fear, uh, and the second one is a fear of failure. Uh, when you have people on insulin pumps, it becomes extremely critical to make sure they get accurate uh, blood readings. You know, at uh, you know, so but for the for most of my patients who are elderly over sixty five. I guess fear of technology is still one of the um, uh, um, factors that we have. Even with text messaging, they will tell you, do not text me because I cannot respond to it. But most of the text messages that we actually send to them, is just informational, not necessarily requiring a response. So that's kind of holding itself. We have to explain to them. So, I mean, just like uh, my kids have TikTok and others, I don't have TikTok. Right. and um, I remember when I said it to my son, he said, what do you know about TikTok? I'm like, okay, because I'm your dad, don't mean that. do. <laughs> but then it's just like that because we are beginning to embrace Instagram and TikTok because we can actually use it for pharmacy. Exactly. But prior to now, I never felt there was a need to, to do that. And that's the same way our senior know, citizens feel that I've existed so long with phone calls. I don't want text messaging service. I don't want anything else. So we're trying to break down that barrier. And that's where the children and the grandchildren actually come in to help them understand and stabilize these patients and make them understand that technology is there to actually help and support what you already do.
2: I really appreciate what you're saying because it's almost like we are um, we are customizing treatment to the generation. How are we delivering baby boomer? Generation X, Generation Z. Z. Um, how are they? How are you delivering education and an and insight and in patient engagement through the generational difference? I think that's interesting. That sounds like a future Twerks episode, Leaky. Definitely, so, I'll and, be back for that. <laughs> you come back in four years. You got to come back sooner than four no. Got sooner for years, Sooner for years. Pandemic kind of messed us
0: up, but um, yes, we're back in full force.
2: Well, I am excited that I got to see you. I appreciate you. Uh, you're a champion for patients. We need more Dr. Lee Kays out there. So um, I wish you the best. And like I said, let's get together sooner than four years from now.
0: Definitely, definitely. Talk. Thanks for having me back. I really do appreciate the opportunity to be part of uh,
2: part of the family. Thanks very much. Take care. All right. So think about that generational care, and how, what generation you're a part of has a big impact on how fast a patient accepts care and how fast they get used to using technology in part of that care and what's happening with our finances and the support units and how people are paying for their care. And that's generational as well. Um, there, There are predictions about the changing of payment methods for healthcare and some of it's pretty scary. Um, the way that insurance is actually changing and how expensive it's become. It has to change. It can't continue to, to roll up. And, and I think that that's an interesting trans, uh, transfer and transition to our next guest because there's a company out there um, that is focused on delivering um, more payment um, abilities and, uh, and, and options. Um, I want to read a quote before we bring on our guests. Um, when, when that patient chooses rent over medication that has a downstream impact on your physician who now cannot get the patient on treatment, that patient doesn't adhere to treatment. I think that's powerful. They're missing cycles of medication, so I'm not driving the value-based outcome that I want to drive the patient. The patient's having a poor experience clinically and financially and that is failure of our healthcare ecosystem. So I want to bring on Vince King and uh, Shrilik Dvorsky, CEO and found, co-founder of TaylorMed. Gentlemen, I am so excited to have you here on This Week in Pharmacy.
3: We are too. Uh, it's a pleasure being here. Thanks for having us.
2: Great to be here, Todd. Thank you. So let's start out with uh, Vince. Just give us a little background. That was your quote, by the way, that I read. And um, I really appreciated that. It was January just of of 2023. Um, You really thought this. I mean, that was an intimate statement that you made because you kind of it didn't sound um, over marketed. It was it almost sounded like you were just talking from your heart. So tell our listeners a little bit about yourself.
4: You know, absolutely, Todd, and thank you. And you know, it isn't a marketing ploy, right? And I think at my core, I believe that affordability, we always talk about it in the context of the patient and how it impacts the patient, which is important. But there are many downstream impacts that affect outcomes around the entirety of the care team and then the individuals trying to run the clinic, the care site. So I have spent, you know, my career in healthcare, I've been in healthcare about 25 years, really on the revenue side of healthcare, understanding how we afford and pay for care and supporting providers and pharmacies and payers in that activity over the last five, six years been directly involved in the patient experience. And so how do we engage the patient? And my core belief is Theriliquel has heard me say at nauseum, if we can get further left in the process and engage the patient directly in many of these things we're asking, all the downstream uh, tasks become easier to execute against right? Clinicians will be better. Pharmacists will be better. Outcomes will be better if we can just get left and help the patient.
2: Shrilik, was this specific to oncology to start out and now you're going into other disease conditions? Um, Kind of talk to us about yourself and in the founding of TaylorMid.
3: Yeah, um, I would say to start with, it was uh, back in the day. So I uh, I co-founded TaylorMid about five years ago with Adam, our CTO, and I co founder um, and we weren't when we where we saw the the biggest, most pressing uh, problem, uh, but one that has had some adoption and understanding behind uh, the financial challenges that patients are experiencing. And that was oncology, high cost, high prevalence condition. Cancer centers in the community and in in uh, hospitals were trying to put together programs to address patients' financial needs. One to have have financial toxicity uh, alleviated for those patients, but two, to be able to uh, you know provide the care, uh, but also be financially reimbursed. Um, and this is where we started. I have to say, I was uh, not expecting that five years afterwards we will be uh, as broad as we are. Um, and it's good and bad. Uh, it's good because you know our business is growing. It's bad because the problem for patients. Uh, far exceeds oncology. Um, I think I heard you speak about uh, diabetic patients just a few uh, uh, you know, minutes ago with Dr. Leakey. Um, insulin is still unaffordable for some patients. Um, and talk about other chronic conditions and definitely specialty care areas like oncology require a solution. Um, and I think that we, we found ourselves really serving many more areas of healthcare as a result of that profound problem of affordability, uh, which is related to oncology, but unfortunately not only.
2: Vince, I want to ask you, if I'm a pharmacy owner, I'm listening to today's episode, um, and I wonder, hey, how do I, as a pharmacist, how do I, as a pharmacy owner, how do I work with TaylorMed? Tell me how that works. You know,
4: it's a great question, Todd. And, you know, so the, th- the good and the bad that's come out of the pandemic is that the pharmacist is even more critically um, participating in our treatment and our care than he or she ever has historically, right? They've always been there. I don't know that they've gotten the recognition that they deserve for being a part of treatment plans and part of the care team. The bad news is, is nothing left of their to-do list when all this started happening to them, during the pandemic, right? So when we think about partnering with pharmacists and how we can help them solve this problem, right? We think about data and can we take a look at patient populations to prioritize the right patients to get engaged with, to find the right assistance under the right circumstances, and then automating those tasks so that we can take as much out of the keystroke workflow as we can for them. Um, Because oftentimes the provider is relying on them to solve this gap in affordability for their patient. And so when they look to partner with folks like us or others in the space, we want to look at, can, can we offload some of that keystroke work? Can we get some of that to-do off of their to-do list? Um, and can we help them prioritize the right patients at the right time for the right foundations or dollars or grants or whatever the, the appropriate assistance is?
3: And if I can just add to that, Todd, uh, I think that, you know, when you think about pharmacy, um, you know, it's a, it's a broad uh, uh, term as well. Uh, and we think that, you know, the different use cases, whether it's a home infusion pharmacy or a specialty pharmacy or a retail pharmacy, uh, require different types of intervention from, you know, the, the pharmacies, whether it's, you know, the owner uh, setting the, uh, the policy or the pharmacy tech um, meeting patients on a daily basis. Uh, and I think that, you know, partnering with Telomed starts with identifying what is that patient approach you want to take. Uh, What is your goals in terms of reducing prescription abandonment as a result of financial barriers to care? And then how would you like to provide that service to your patients? Uh, Technology enables that. Uh, But then are you experiencing, you know, cases where you don't have enough staff and you would like to have the patients participate on their own? Um, or do you want to have a back office centralized team to do that? And we work with those types of organizations to first kind of understand that you know these are the challenges that you have, these are some of the goals that you are setting in an organization, and then let's solution together to figure out how do we increase the availability of or the utilization of available funding that Tailwind provides you with. So for them, we are that funnel of 58 billion dollars worth of financial assistance that is out there. It's not Tailwind. But we are helping those patients proactively enroll to those uh, opportunities so they can zero balance their out of pocket, uh, best case scenario, or if not, meaningfully, meaningfully alleviate that.
2: So, when Madeline reached out to me, um, part of your communications team, and kind of talked to me about TaylorMatt, I immediately did my Google uh, searching and found some information. The very first thing I thought about was the world of hub services within specialty pharmacy where um, pharmacists have become experts in uh, prior authorization and making sure that the prescription gets paid as well as following up with the treatment from a financial perspective and then splitting their duties between a financial-driven pharmacist versus a clinical-driven pharmacist and really how important both of those sides are to keep people adherent. I almost feel like TaylorMed is that in all-in-one. Um, do, you, do you think that's a good comparison to kind of consider you like a, a hub services? I think that
3: I definitely relate to your all-in-one um, kind of uh, uh, statement, but I would um, just explain why. Um, pharmacists, and just in general, everyone who is trying to access um, different types of financial resources to, to get the care they need, find themselves trying to google search like you did um, and find dozens if not hundreds of different programs and portals to try and find their options Um, we currently have more than six thousand different programs in our database Um, the one-stop shop that we provide them with is that you know funneling uh, of those options to the right patient at the right time with the right eligibility criteria. So they don't need to go into each and every one of those portals. And hub services are essential uh, to this process. They provide the necessary help for the manufacturers to administer their programs, um, but there are many of those. Uh, but as a pharmacist or as a patient, to be honest, how do I know to reach the different portals? I need something that consolidates everything for me, and then helps me manage that program lifecycle throughout my continuum of care. And that's what we provide them with.
4: And Todd, I do think you make an interesting call out in the hub, though, because again to the quote you quoted earlier, right? That it's impossible to separate the clinical and the financial the clinical and the financial journey of our patient any longer, right? So the data that we receive on the front end for us is often clinical in nature, right? That we see diagnosis and scripts and treatment plans and those kinds of things. We also often see we see financial, right? And that's how we begin to make our decisions. So we are at a pace, in a place to be able to facilitate that journey for the hub themselves, for the pharmacist themselves, and ultimately for the patient.
2: So talk to me, and I'm not sure either of you can definitely take this, but I'm very curious. So I've worked in pharmacy software systems for years. That's actually how I entered pharmacy. So there's 25 uh, systems out there, um, the dominant one in community pharmacy like Pioneer Rx or Liberty or something like that. So how does TailorMed interface with these systems to deliver all of that data so that the pharmacy that is the preferential pharmacy of the patient is able to move forward in their treatment?
3: Yeah, I, I'm happy to take that, um, you know, just uh, a bit of my engineering background to, to to explain how we we are working with those types of, uh, um, you know, vendors or IT systems. At the end of the day, what we need in order to empower the pharmacies to, uh, to leverage the full capacity of what we can offer them is, data uh, from the IT systems that you mentioned. Whether it's an EHR on the provider side or a pharmacy management system on the pharmacy side um, or or multiples, uh, we have the capabilities of getting those data feeds into Tailomed, which power our ability to be proactive and predict which patients will need the assistance the most. Um, So we can do that in many different ways, whether it's a a low lift on the uh, pharmacy IT or a fully integrated uh, solution. We have all of those capabilities, but at the end of the day, it goes back to what the pharmacy wants to try and achieve from a use case perspective. We don't want want to just connect tech for the sake of tech. Uh, We want to make sure it's something that supports the use case they need uh, without burdening them with developing like crazy APIs that everybody likes to speak about. We can, but we need to make sure that it supports the right model. Um, and, and we do work with those types of uh, vendors that you mentioned. Uh, we get data about patient demographics that they s- usually store. We get the script data that we need in order to find eligible programs that have financial assistance. Uh, and we can complement that data with our own uh, um, you know, data sources, whether it's the program's data for financial assistance or benefits data with our own benefits investigation engines that we have.
2: Vince, and starting with oncology, you've now built out an entire portfolio of, of services out of what TaylorMed's delivering. Expand for our listeners what what else Tailormed is doing.
4: So it's a, it's a great question, right? And so oncology was a natural starting point for us, and in many cases, it you know it was the bellwether on financial impacts to outcomes, right? Everybody understood it's not only devastation. Uh, a cancer diagnosis can have clinically, but also financially. So it was a logical place to start and that's where the hands were on keyboards trying to solve this problem. You know, as we step back and we looked at the opportunity, that's a small subset of the patients that we could assist given the opportunity to broadly look at them, right? So when we think about solving the problem, we started at a high level and like, we'll take a look at all the patient data across the pharmacy, across the health system, across the practitioner to look at your, your prescribing and dispensing behavior. Right, once we look at that data, then we can look across disease states, or regardless of diagnosis, we can be everywhere a prescription is written under dispense and it gives us the best way to see all of the opportunity for assistance that's available within a particular care setting, right? So that's not to say that all of it is appropriate assistance, right? So we just start at the universe and we work down to the appropriate because we can see the totality of the patient population. And then that allows us to risk stratify those patients, right? So we can take a look at patients based on the benefits and the out-of-pocket estimation that Thrulik just mentioned, and then we can risk stratify them, right? So we can take a look, at, and this is an oversimplified example, right? But if I have co- commercial insurance and a branded medication, there's a good likelihood that I'll get approved for a copay card. That copay card is available today. It'll be available next Tuesday, right? Thrulik may be in a different financial situation. He may need foundation assistance, Those funds open, close, fund, defund with irregularity. So we want to prioritize the enrollment of Thrulick into that foundation today, right? Regardless of his diagnoses, regardless of his medication, we want to find that opportunity to help him today so that we can capture those dollars, right? So that drives all of the clinical outcomes and it drives financial performance for the health systems or the pharmacy because we can capture those dollars in real time that if you postpone Thrulick till next Tuesday, those dollars may be gone. Right, so when we look at how we can help folks in this very broad and yet unique problem here in the States is that we can provide that broad visibility to the entirety of your patient population, understand how to understand how to rank order, risk stratify them so we're engaging with the right patient at the right time and finding the right assistance, regardless of disease state, diagnosis, drug type. That's, that's where we can dig in and where we can leverage the tools that we're mentioning. Yeah, and
3: actually, Todd, I have to say that... Um, you mentioned oncology, which is like a natural go-to uh, disease state. It's part of the problem. Uh, and, and I'm going to give a, a talk in Sambia in a few weeks about some of the stories we see from the trenches, meaning our network and how, you know, so many efforts are being put by pharmacies and provider organizations to try and move the needle for patients, but not all of them are successful. And part of that is because when you think about financial assistance, when you think about financial toxicity, you think about oncology. But unfortunately, financial toxicity is not only an oncology problem. Um, think about someone who has, you know, anticoagulation drugs or a cardiovascular drugs or even an inhaler. Their out-of-pocket for every refill can be hundreds of dollars. And the prescription and abandon rate for that would be above 25%. When pharmacies pharmacies think about financial assistance, they need to think about their entire patient population and they need to build programs which is harder I get it but they need to build programs where they serve all patients in all these states
2: who's the customer I know that it's the patient ultimately but who's actually who's paying Taylor med in order to deliver these services
3: so, so the only customer is not the patient uh, the the patient is is the beneficiary of that service um, pharmacies look at Uh, financial assistance as a way to serve their patients better, but also to reduce prescription abandonment. Providers, uh, whether it's health systems or specialty practices, want to do that for the benefit of their patients, but also because they are seeing write-offs and uncompensated care. And those are the reasons that we are partnering with those those organizations that not only, you know, use TailorMed to uh, address medication affordability and provide better patient care, but also they are made financially whole. And we are really helping helping them um, see financial performance uh, improvements in a very meaningful way. They are our customers.
2: Are you communicating this um, to pharmacists and pharmacies directly? And I understand you're going to Assembia, which is amazing. We're going to be there as well. Um, And I think you belong in specialty initially. But give me an idea of how you're you're teaching pharmacists, pharmacies about TaylorMED is it the community pharmacist? Is it specialty initially? Uh, obviously, that's probably the sweet spot to start. But talk to us about you know how you're getting this messaging out.
3: So uh, I- initially, um, you know, specialty makes makes sense, uh, and we have a very big footprint in specialty pharmacies. Some of the largest specialty pharmacies are already using us in order to help their patients. Um, retail, home infusion. Uh, infusion pharmacies are all uh, part of the network and educating them starts with first of all understanding as been said before their universe of prescriptions where they currently deploy uh, technology or teams or or do not in order to find financial assistance opportunity for their patients and then um, learning together what is the the right structure of a program for them because what will be a good um, program for especially pharmacies that have uh, patient financial services, um, you know, teams will not necessarily be the right fit for a retail pharmacy where the patients will be the one that have to self-serve um, and then helping them with a patient experience solution that we, uh, uh, we can offer will be more appropriate. Um, so I think it starts with, with data. Uh, it starts with what is your prescription data how many of your patients are currently struggling to uh, fill their scripts um, and then starting from there? Uh, but, Vince, any, any thoughts there?
4: Yeah, the only thing I would add is um, like, I think we talked about it earlier, right? Solving affordability with medication assistance is not its not a new tool to address this opportunity, right? It's been around for a while. And, the, and the, the good and the bad news is we've all tried really hard, but we've all tried in our silos, right? So, providers have tried to do it themselves, pharmacists have tried to do it themselves, infusion pharmacy, pharma has has helped as well, right? And so I think the number one thing we're doing is creating a network of constituents that are trying to solve this together because we have a fundamental belief that we cannot do it ourselves, right? And I think it's proven in the data. Right. So many of the ways that we're educating is, for example, our network constituents are making introductions to others like across lines. So a pharma introducing us to pharmacy or vice versa to say, hey, there's an opportunity for us to collaborate here and work better. We can serve more patients. We all win in this scenario. Right. No one gets hurt if we help the patients get on therapy more quickly and help them adhere to therapy. Right. That is one of the most I think most fun things to talk about here is anybody in the value chain wins right? There's no one that has disproportionate share or other, you know, potentially negative outcomes. So the number one way is talk to our network constituents and they get it like almost immediately, right? When we start talking about it in this context, there's an aha moment for them. And then it's, you know, standard go to market, right? Where we are talking about creating education, creating material, being very transparent in the data we use and how we get to the places where we understand how we can help um, and being very transparent in, in how we do what we do. Um, and there's just a natural conversation that comes from there.
2: If you're listening, you want to learn more, um, go to taylormed.co. Once again, that's Taylor, T-A-I-L-O-R, med, taylormed.co. So when is your presentation? I'll be showing up in Vegas around May 1st. Um, I'll be there till May 4th. Uh, when is your, when is your presentation? really?
3: Yeah, so let me pull up the exact date. You're coming off guard here for a second. Um, that's going to be May 3rd, Wednesday, um, at 1.45 p.m. Okay. Um, and it's not going to be about us. It's just going to be about pharmacies uh, who are part of our network and some of the fundamental issues that we're seeing that are not allowing them to reach as many patients, uh, and the funding that is available for, for those patients, uh, that they can, uh, and some of the, the learnings that we've had. So, uh, it would be great to, uh, you know, to
2: see you guys there. We'll be there. Um, I'd like to get a quote from, from one of you as well. We're going to, um, a shout out to, uh, to the team, uh, at Assembia. They're wonderful to work with. I think they're putting us at a special media location by the pool and guess what's by the pool, the bar. So... You you put the bar, the pull, and podcasting. That's my that's my jam. I'll 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 stay there the entire time. John, I think there's your
4: quote right there. <laughs>
2: <laughs> pull, bar, podcast, join us at, at 1823 oh, in man. Las Vegas. There you go. That's the commercial. I have to have uh Brady mix that up and um Brady, does that sound like a good commercial? Yes or no?
5: Sounds oh. fantastic.
2: Full bar podcast. Let's go! Now, I, I it's going to be fun. I you know, I, I when I go there, there's a, there it's just a, it's a, it's a fire hose of information. If you've never been to Assembia and you want to get deeper into specialty care, uh, as well as technology, there's a tremendous amount of technology companies that show up there. Uh, this is the place to go. So um, excited about uh, the upcoming event. Excited that TaylorMed was introduced um, a shout out to your PR and communication team for bringing this to our attention. I'd like to actually unpack this and start digging down into specific disease states and how you're helping pharmacies to manage that and start bringing in some of your expertise. So we're going to have to have you back, but gentlemen, I really appreciate this time and and you spending time with us in this week in pharmacy.
3: It's it's been a it's been a pleasure and uh, would be happy to to come back and share some more stories from the trenches about know, how we can uh, help pharmacies help their patients.
2: Absolutely. I yeah, appreciate the opportunity, Todd. Keep doing the good work, man. Appreciate it. Thank you. you. You guys have a great weekend. We'll see you in Vegas. All right. Be well. Thank you. All right. Hey, if you're listening right now and you have solutions that are tied into payment and helping to uh, ease payment issues, please give us um, a shout out. Uh, give us a a tweet, uh, go to Instagram, go to uh, LinkedIn. We're all over the place. You can find us um, if you go to pharmacypodcast.com, obviously, but we care about you. We care about the care that you deliver as a pharmacist. And we want to hear, this is how we learn about things to to talk about and to expand and to network. And really it's about the network more than anything. Um, That is a key word. And our next guest is the word network and the strength of a network, the strength to um to come together as a profession and be uh trusting of each other in in the fact that we don't have to always agree on everything uh but we do have to work together to make sure that the patient gets the services that they need and there are so many pharmacists that are passionate about pharmacy care RPH ally has been an amazing partner um of of the pharmacy podcast network and bringing more pharmacists, we're starting to see multiple pharmacists have uh, shows uh, with Doctor Walker and then um, and then come over to Pharmacy Podcast and and deliver more content. Before our guests, though, I want to give a shout out to uh, Doctor Jake Nichols. Um, he's the author of Fit Unfit for a Recovery. I'm about uh, just beginning this book. If you want to understand opioid use, um, disorder and treatment and what someone went through. Uh, Jake is passionate. He's sincere. He's intimate with his readers. He gets into some of the, the weeds of, of what he experienced. Uh, once again, unfit for recovery. If you can't see this book and you're listening to the podcast, look it up. Uh, just Google unfit for recovery by Dr. Jake Nichols. Um, it's, it's a, it's a, it, it it it's a eye opening book because it gives you uh, the perception of what it's like to go through um, recovery uh, in treatment and how uh, Jake felt that he wasn't even worthy of treatment and he's a provider so it was it was another layer of 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 treatment and and this is special to us because opioid use disorder was part of my. Career growth in healthcare as a communicator. Um, as I worked in in that space specifically, marrying uh, emergency room uh, treatment, uh, being some you know patients being Narcan, people being Narcan, and then putting them into uh, into treatment immediately, and being able to make that as seamless as possible. The disruption of that to a to a person's life. Um, we have to have passionate providers, and we do have a passionate provider coming on next. Um, I'm excited to welcome Dr. Eric Speck, PharmD, and um, he has a business background as well as an MBA, and he is the pharmacist support director of RPH Ally, and Eric, uh, welcome to This Week in Pharmacy. Oh, I can't hear you. Your audio is turned off. All right, that's better. Apologize for
5: that. Uh, no, I said, I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me on. Uh, do you want to add, uh, about that book that you were just talking about unfit for recovery by Jake Nichols? I have that book. It's sitting right over there. Unfortunately, you know, I have to admit I have not opened it yet, but, um, I am looking forward to diving into it. I've known Jake for geez, probably a year or two now. Um, he's an awesome guy. Um, he's one of the reasons that I became more public about my experience and my story. Um, from hearing people like him, you know, sharing their story kind of gave me the courage to to share mine. So, you know, thanks to people like Jake, it's one of the reasons that I'm here today uh, talking talking
2: with you. That's special. So give us some background on yourself. Um, I want to know why you wanted to become a pharmacist. I, oh, I'm so curious. i I've never a- asked this question and and received the same answer. it's It's different every time. I've talked to thousands of pharmacists over the years. So what's your story?
5: Sure. Um, well, I'm a third generation pharmacist. I'm actually the fifth to graduate pharmacy school in my family. So a lot of times I, I joke around and I say I became a pharmacist because I was brainwashed growing up. Um, you know, and the, the, the truth is my family, my, my father, my uncle, my grandfather, they owned a few pharmacies when I was growing up and they really enjoyed it. Um, they enjoyed being pharmacists. They enjoyed helping their patients and, you know, providing I guess, a service to the community in a great way. So I saw how much they loved it. Um, And so when it got time for me to kind of choose my career path, I looked at a lot of different things, but ultimately settled on pharmacy because it was something that I knew I would enjoy as well, Um, you know, doing for, doing for a while and helping people.
2: So your experience um, with um, what you went through in your personal life and, and how it just probably disrupted your life a bit share with our our listeners about that. I think that's very interesting just like Jake because you see it from a different perspective because you are a healthcare provider as well.
5: Yeah, you know, one thing interesting and it's 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 true for me and I hear it a lot about other healthcare providers who struggle with addiction. You know, they always think it's never going to happen to me. You know, especially as a pharmacist. I I'm the drug expert. I know everything there is to know about these drugs more than anybody else. So I know how to not get addicted or whatever story we're trying to tell ourselves that it's not going to happen to us. And so that's the story I told myself, you know, I said, I am a, you know, I'm a pharmacist. I'm a very responsible person. I'm a very professional person. You know, I'm not a, not a drug addict. It's not going to happen to me. And that was like the first mistake. Um, so shortly after I graduated pharmacy school and started working in the profession, I did develop a opioid use disorder and one of the reasons I fell into that trap, you know, growing up and just things in my life, things came relatively easy. There was nothing I wasn't able to conquer or accomplish. You know, if there was a challenge, no matter how big it was, I was always able to be successful in pursuing that. And this was the first time in my life where something really just kicked my ass. I could not defeat it no matter how hard I tried. Once those, uh, the opiates got you know, a grasp of me, it, it would not let go, um, and it happened so quickly. I mean, really, it was about six months of use before I was in the worst place of my life, and I couldn't stop using.
2: Was this based on an injury initially, or was it something that you just got into from a recreational perspective, but how did that kind of transpire in domino?
5: Yeah, good question. Uh, It was definitely not an injury, nothing physical. Sometimes I I joke around saying, yeah, I know opiates are used to help manage pain. And I said I was struggling with some emotional pain and the opiates worked really well for that.
2: Makes sense though. Goodness, I I have a family, um, some of on my mom's side, especially that went through some alcoholism and how easy that was. And I feel like throughout my life, I've teeter-tottered um, in that realm. And I've always been able to pull back with, uh, being double checked by, you know, family people and in, in my life that, that are telling me, watch out because this is in your, this has been in your family. And I think there's a tie back to generational addiction too. And I think sometimes that's psychological the way. We, we, I was always around it was around it from the time I can remember, uh, the yeah. smell of it, you know, the, 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 the support uh, of, of, we call it what, supporting dysfunction with dysfunction, <laughs> it, uh, and it, can, it can snowball and it can, but now you have something very special to offer, Eric, and that is you understand it because you went through it. So how does that impact um, your ideas for, for care for people that are going through um, opioid use disorder?
5: Yeah, you definitely are able to understand it on a, on a different level. Um, You know, and and that's that's one reason I reached out to you initially was, you know, the pharmacist expanding role into treating patients with opioid use disorder by by providing, you know, buprenorphine medications, uh, being on the front lines for that. And that's the treatment regimen that I went through as well. But I never could have imagined in a million years how bad addiction can get. I mean, the things that you go through when you're struggling with an addiction, the, the feelings of depression, insomnia, can't really be described. And I always tell people, I think about, think about the worst time in your life when you felt that you were at your worst and at your, low, your lowest and how bad it felt. Um, I say, if you're struggling with opiate addiction, you know, multiply that worst feeling you've ever had by a thousand. I mean, it was, I never would have come close. I never would have thought that in this realm of life that we live as humans, it would be possible to feel that bad and to go through such terrible emotions. And it wasn't just for a short period of time. I mean, those that, that, that struggle sticks with you for a long time as you're working to get clean. Um, so yeah, having gone through it myself, you know, I know how hard it is and I don't think any, any person, you know, a pharmacist, physician can truly understand the severity of addiction and what somebody's going through without having gone through it themselves. It is, like I said, you know, a thousand times, a million times worse than I ever could have imagined. So if I didn't go through it myself, I would think, yeah, you know, these patients, they're having a difficult time right now, you know, struggling with their opioid use disorder. And yeah, I get it. It's hard, but I would have really no idea of how hard it actually was. So, you know, I've developed a lot of empathy and compassion for people who are struggling with addiction, and, you know, I've learned what works for me, and I just try to be that person for, you know, those people who are out there. And on RPH Ally, I'm the director of the Pharmacy Peer Support Channel, and we provide support for a lot of personal and professional issues. Um, One of the main reasons I wanted to join RPH Ally and do this is because I know there there are a good number of pharmacists out there, or pharmacy professionals who are struggling with, you know, some type of substance use disorder and to have a place to go to, to talk to somebody who really understands, you know, what they're going through and to, to provide a little bit of direction and guidance is really, really fulfilling for me. Um, you know, it's something I do. I do pro bono just because I I care so much and I want to help people. So they don't need to go through the same thing that I went through, or at least not for as long if it's possible
2: our network has been a constant drum of content around um addiction and uh, specifically opioid use disorder and we had a seven-part series through the university of pittsburgh pharmacy school duquesne university and the pennsylvania pharmacist association all about stigma and i think um you and and people like Dr. Nichols, Jake present an extremely valuable perspective because when you start talking to a fellow provider that's going through it, you immediately come across sincere and not stigma driven where you feel you're, I don't think that they feel judged because they know that you've been through it too. And I think there's a special, not that you want our providers to have to go through it, obviously, and and experience it but uh the the light at the end of the tunnel and the goodness that has come out for for you and for someone like jake is the fact that you can speak uh levels ahead than someone that never went through it that's kind of having to build trust i think there's a trust there that you give off almost immediately when when you're talking to a fellow provider
5: yeah no i agree with you completely i think it is very natural that that occurs you know, the stigma thing is huge. Um, you know, when, when somebody, you know, whether a patient, a family member, or a friend, you know, you hear about, they have an addiction problem or they're an alcoholic or they're addicted to opiates, whatever it is, you know, there's auto- automatically a negative connotation to that. Somebody described to me a while back, they said it really should just be like, if somebody falls and breaks their arm, it's like, oh my gosh, there's, you know, a condition here that needs to be treated, they're hurt. And then once it's fixed, they're not known as the broken arm guy anymore, but you know, if somebody who has addiction, it should be looked at the same way as somebody who had, you know, a fractured arm. Um, this person is, you know, going through uh, a challenge, they're struggling with this condition, you know, this substance use disorder, and they're gonna heal from it, you know, with the right treatment and the right course. Hopefully, you know, it's of course what we all hope for. And then that should be it. But, you know, there's that stigma there where if somebody has been clean and sober for five, 10 years, 20 years, you know, haven't had an ounce of alcohol or illicit substance in their body longer than most people, but yet they've been labeled an addict and have a history of addiction, that's going to stick with them forever. And that's just not right at all. Um, I know there's a big push to end the stigma on this kind of stuff and we're making a lot of progress. It's going in the right direction. And you know, it's it still, has a long ways to go, but we're, we're making progress there. So that's, that's refreshing.
2: Um, a shout out to our listeners, Eric and our listeners. We have a new series called opioid RX. It's dedicated to our profession. It's dedicated to pharmacists that are in opioid use disorder and um, are innovators. We've had two episodes so far. Um, Eric, you are invited to become uh, one of those episodes, if not uh, a numerous of episodes so I'm going to be reaching out to you, scheduling that, and I'd like to actually get Jake on. Maybe the three of us could actually have a conversation.
5: Yeah, it sounds like it would be a f- fantastic uh, conversation and episode. Yeah, undoubtedly.
2: I um I want to say thank you, but with how open you've been and sincere, and um and I know that that's not hard in itself, but you're a you're a champion of, of healthcare, and um you're a hero uh, of mine, obviously as a pharmacist and I just want to say thank you for, for being a guest today.
5: Yeah, thank, thank you, Todd. Um, it's become easier, like I said earlier with Jake, the more people that tell their stories gives me the courage to tell my story. And in doing so, I hope it encourages others to do the same. And in doing so, it helps me heal. So it's, uh, you know, it's a win-win for everybody with me doing this.
2: That's awesome. Thank you, Eric. All right. Dude, thank you. you. All right. All right. You are pharmacists, you are pharmacy technicians. We are here for you. If there's anything that we can ever do, um, we want to do it for you. Please uh, reach out to the show, tweet us, follow us, tell us what content we're missing and what we can de- design for you. Um, if you're going to, once again, Assembia, please reach out to us. Um, I'd love to meet up with you there. If you don't have a U.S. Farmy shirt, go to usfarmy.com. Once again, that's U.S. Pharma com Buy a shirt. 100% of these um, shirt proceeds go to veterans, a uh, veterans advocacy organization here in Fayette County, Pennsylvania, called the Dog Tag Club. And with that, that was This Week in Pharmacy for April 14th, 2023. We love you, pharmacists. Uh, you're our favorite providers, and we will speak with you soon.